0: So when do you pull the trigger? There's, when, do you, when do you pull the trigger on having children? When do you pull the trigger on starting a new job? There's, there's a thousand questions in life that, that we face constantly, and they may not be being, you might not be being strafed by a, a German fighter at the time, but there are these kind of difficult questions that if you make the wrong decision early on in life, they'll affect the rest of your life. And, and we need to ha- have a methodology of tackling difficult decisions. There's, there's one voice yelling, fire. There's another voice saying, hold off. Which voice do you listen to? And I asked my wife this week, what are some questions that we face that are kind of big, life-shaping, life-changing questions? And the first one we came up with was, Do I keep working here? And I've got I've got buddies that I can't believe it, but I'm already having the when do you retire conversations with my friends? And it feels like we just started college together. But we're saying, so you know, do I retire when I'm 50? Do I retire when I'm 60? Do I change jobs because I hate my job, but I'm only five years from retirement? Or I can't stand the people I work with, but the work that I do is valuable. And We, we, get, we get faced with these kind of decisions all the time, and they're very difficult. We, for, for younger people, it's what do I major in? Where, where do I start? I, I wanted to be an author, psychologist, video game designer probably in college, something like that. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And ultimately, they called me and offered me a scholarship. And I said yes, and I still question. I had this degree in engineering physics that I never did anything with. And picking a major is a big deal. You spend a whole lot of money to get an education. You spend a whole lot of money and effort to kind of tie yourself to a life path. And you want to make that decision correctly. What foods do I eat? So there's the question of do I eat for fuel only or do I eat for enjoyment plus fuel or mostly for enjoyment? You know, there, you, you, can, you can eat all the ice cream you want and you think you're taking years off your life. But how fun is life without ice cream? So it's a diff- they're, they're difficult questions. Is how do you eat? How, what, what do you consume? What relationships should I be in? Who should I share my bed with? Who should I share my intimate friendships with? If, if, this inf- if, this, if this relationship that I'm in feels toxic and like it sucks the life out of me, but I know that I'm helpful to that person, do I stay in the relationship to help them, risking self and sacrificing self, or do I get away from the relationship in order to be personally healthy and maybe make me more effective in the rest of my life? Relationships are a very, very difficult and challenging thing. And then my wife came up with shave or wax, which is a really crazy thing, and this is a lot, this is similar to being strafed by a German fighter, is my guess, never experienced it, but life questions, tough stuff, we're talking about the pillars of Daylight Church here, service, study, worship, and rest, and we're on tier three of study today, and each of these, each of these pillars represent an activity within Daylight Church, so our service is our service projects, our study is our community groups, which, which Joseph tell, told us about just a moment ago, worship is our worship study, and rest is our non-activity or our fun stuff that we do To get together, but as we talk about study, we're talking about the seeking of truth, and truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's finding out what is real, finding out what is right, what is best, and pursuing knowledge. And so we talk about we've talked about how each of these things: service leads to purpose, study leads to knowledge, worship leads to surrender, and rest leads to peace. And today we're talking about what study leads to. And I've actually changed my mind on some of this. I've I've started to kind of revamp a little bit of this. And we we talked about how when you seek the truth, if you don't apply the truth, the truth is not necessarily active in your life. So part of this this pursuit of study is to pursue what is right. And that means application. It means doing something. And ultimately, I've come to the conclusion, talking to friends, and I've just never felt quite right about about study leading to knowledge. It seems like something was missing there. And I think what we were missing is wisdom, that ultimately the... The goal is wisdom, and knowledge and wisdom are tied together so much that I called it nism. and we're not going to put that actually on any, we're not putting that on any flyers or anything else like that, but what you find in Scripture is that knowledge and wisdom are, are not independent of one another. You, they, they're, they're, they're bedmates. They, they spend a lot of time together, knowledge and wisdom, and so when we pursue, if the, if the ultimate pursuit is wisdom, that we'll be wise with our life, that we will make correct decisions, that we'll know when to end a relationship or when to pick up a relationship, that will know when to end the job or to continue the job. That's, that's, that's intimately tied to wisdom, but wisdom is always tied to knowledge. And, and so I, I tried to come up with a definition of, of the two, but what we find in Scripture is that they're, they're tied together nonstop. So I, I get it. If you're, if you're like Mike Hogback here and you have a degree in philosophy, you're probably going to say, no, I could come up with a much better definition of wisdom and a much better definition of knowledge. Philosophers will argue forever about what is knowledge and what is wisdom. But I'm I'm giving you definitions for our application today, and knowledge is the comprehension of information. It just means you get stuff. It means you see what is real and what is actual, whereas wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. And so there's all kinds of places in life where you'll know something, but wisdom tells you how to respond to that thing that you know, And I heard, it, I heard it said this week that you can have knowledge without wisdom. You can know something, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. So the foundation of being wise is to be a person of study. The foundation of being a good decision maker, it, it's, it's necessary that you become a person who seeks correct information. So it starts with a, a, a degree of study, pursuing knowledge, and the end game that we're shooting for is wisdom, that you'll be able to make right choices. So when we talk about the difference... Knowledge will tell you that if you fall from this cliff, that that gravity will accelerate you. And and for those of you that that are in the know, you'll accelerate at 9.8 meters per second squared. And that will be altered by the coefficient of friction in the air that probably is altered by the altitude that you're at. So the knowledge tells you that if I fall, I'm going to fall fast. Wisdom tells you what? Don't jump. jump. (laughs) Right. So knowledge gives you the information you need To make the correct decision, you're going to be going fast when you hit the ground. That's the knowledge. Wisdom says, "I don't want to be going fast when I hit the ground." Therefore, I'm going to avoid that situation. Knowledge tells us that people enjoy gifts. That gifts make relationships thrive. That when you offer something to someone, contractors will, will, you know, and, and it turns into kickbacks a lot of times. But contractors will give gifts to the people who have hired them, so that they will have a positive. Uh, relationship with, with the, the contractors, the people that hired them in the first place, in order to build that relationship. So we know that gifts help relationships, but what does wisdom tell us about that knowledge? What does that mean for our lives? You're happy, gifts. It means give gifts. <laughs> and so it's, it's the difference between knowing what gifts can do and actually applying the knowledge that you have. Knowledge tells us the baby is crying for a few reasons. What might those reasons be? Hungry, number one reason. Next, next reason. Tired. Tired. Anything else? Diaper change. Diaper change. There, there, cold, wet, uh, temperature can be one of them. I mean, there could be a... Th- or or you, you, you gave the dumb kid Mountain Dew in a sippy cup. That was a mistake, <laughs> right? He, it's, he, he's in caffeine withdrawal. I've seen this happen. So, <laughs> knowledge tells us there are ten reasons why the child might be crying. What does wisdom tell us in a situation like this? It helps us figure out which one it is, right? We are applying the knowledge of our experiences with it. What else? I heard, I heard pick it up. The child might be lonely. The child might be cold. Pick it up. What else? A bottle maybe? So, so knowledge gives us the information we need to make the right decision in these d- departments. And I heard on a t-shirt this week that tomatoes are a fruit. That's the knowledge. The wisdom says don't put them in a fruit salad. So the Bible is replete with connections between wisdom and knowledge. There was this guy, Solomon, who, who eventually became very, very wealthy, king over all the land. He was, he was known for his vast empire. And there was this passage where God appears to him or, or comes to him and says, I'll give you anything you want. And who knows what he asked for? Anybody? Anybody? Everyone is, in some way, incorrect. So, this is the story we've heard, is that he asked for wisdom. But if you read the passage, it's not what he asks for. He asks specifically for wisdom and knowledge so that he can govern the people. Because Solomon knew that you have to have both. That where there is no knowledge, there is no wisdom. We use it because Solomon is considered the wisest guy of all time. But he was wise enough to know that he didn't know some stuff, and he needed to know some stuff that he didn't know. And that was wisdom, Right. He pursued knowledge because he was pursuing wisdom. The garden of life, the beginning of mankind. As the story goes, Adam and Eve were in this garden, and God said to them, you should not eat from a specific tree. And it says specifically right here, why? It says, if you do, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he says, if you eat from this tree, you're going to know something, is how the story goes. And it says, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some. So you see, he says, if you eat from this tree, you will know stuff. You will have knowledge. The woman looking at it says, knowing stuff contributes to wisdom. wisdom. It's, you can't, it's shocking how often wisdom and knowledge are tied together together in Scripture and I'm just going to run through some of the passages from the book of wisdom Proverbs and then a few others the wise store up what knowledge, knowledge. So, so to be wise means to store up knowledge the discerning heart which is a, a wise heart a, a heart able to choose between good and evil seeks knowledge whoever loves discipline loves knowledge the psalmist says this he's, it's a prayer to God he's, he's praying he, he wants something from God and he says God is good He says, do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, good judgment being wisdom. So he says, here's what I want from you, God. Once again, we see the psalmist, probably David, saying, I want what Solomon wanted. I want wisdom and knowledge. And then there's this passage in Romans, which is considered a doxology. And a doxology is a hymn of praise. It's a song of praise, and a lot of times, Churches will sing the doxology to close out a service. It's a a hymn or a song of praise to God. And and Paul sings his hymn of praise to God, and it goes like this. Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It's really common all throughout Scripture that the idea of being able to make good decisions with your life, to choose when to end that relationship, to choose what to major in, to choose all these other things that you're faced with. You're faced with difficult questions all the time. If you're raising children, you know how hard it can be. And I've expressed this in here before. The biggest conundrum for me in raising a child is the the space between freedom and discipline. Is do I want to tell my kids what to do and when they should do it? Or do I want to let, even though they're kind of boneheads at times, or do I want to let them be free to make their own decisions and maybe get themselves in a mess? And it's it's hard as a parent to know, because I want them to grow up to be disciplined kids that choose right from wrong, but I also want them to grow up to be free and, and command their own lives. And it's hard. And what Scripture seems to indicate is that I need to have knowledge and wisdom in all these decisions. And I don't know what your decision is today. I don't know what it is that you face or what the difficulties are in your life. But it seems, Scripture seems to paint this picture that what you need is knowledge that turns into wisdom. So let's talk briefly about how to get good. So I, I, I live in a... All, all the nerds just laughed. because All the, all the gamer nerds get it. So, so I live in a house of nerds, and nerds are gamers. And in gaming, so, so there's this new game called Black Ops 4 that everybody is playing. And, and, and what really happens is you get in this island of 100 people, and everybody tries to kill each other, right? And the problem is you're facing off with 9-year-olds that all they do is sit there, and they have the dexterity of, of a cat, and they can just... I mean, they smoke you. They crush you. And so the question for, for old guys like me or, or older people that are, you know, maybe they're a little arthritic in the hands is, why am I so bad at this? And this is always the answer. Kids these days, they don't, they don't even write out all the spelling. They just say, get good, G-I-T-G-U-D. It means practice. It means work hard. And so how do we get good at wisdom? How do, how do, we, how do we conquer our deficiencies? We've, we've talked about hamartia being, being the Greek word for sin in here, and it, it's kind of a frailty or a weakness. And one of the chief hamartias that we've talked about is relying on one's own intellect. It's thinking that I've got, I've got control up here, whereas humility and the reality of existence demands that we say, I don't have everything in control up here. I need something up here that I don't have currently. So how do we get good? How do, how do we pursue with knowledge and wisdom in a way that will help us when it comes down to the decision, do I stay in a relationship or do I leave the relationship? How do I walk out my life? And it starts off with this passage, the doxology that we just shared. And it says, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of who? Of God. And he goes on in this doxology, the second part of this doxology, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? And who can be his counselor? Who has been his counselor? So what he says is, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, the depth of it, he says, oh, when he sees it, he's, he's amazed, he's in awe, he's in reverence of the depth of how deep this knowledge and wisdom of God is. And his, his, his question after that implies, nobody can get it. Nobody has it. It's missing from our lives. And so it starts with desire. It starts with recognizing where it comes from and wanting it from the source of all wisdom wisdom. And knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to start on this path of knowledge and wisdom, the beginning of it is to recognize God is bigger than you are. And God, God knows more than you know. It's, it's a turning of yourself towards something grand, towards something much higher than you are. It's, it's the humility to lay down your own knowledge, to lay down your own ability to parse things out and ask for help somewhere else. So the first step is just seeing, seeing that God has what you need and turning towards the source of what you need. There's a passage in the book of, of wisdom that says, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. And then it's, it also says in Proverbs 15, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. So it starts with seeing that God is big and smart and wise and can help you in all these very difficult life decisions. It's, it's turning towards the source. But then it comes down to looking for teachers. It comes down to looking for voices in your head that are going to fill you with the knowledge and wisdom you need. And this is not a plug for a pastor. I'm not even saying that I'm that voice. I, I would, I, I'm aware of my own shortcomings. But I'm saying I need teachers. You need teachers. You need people to help you in decisions. And you need people who will tell you you're being a bonehead right now. If you're in a relationship that is codependent and ugly and it may be hard to get out of, so this, this passage applies. Life-giving correction may allow you to be among the wise. You need people who will tell it like it is, people who will tell you the truth, people who are studying themselves and, and parsing out the difficult questions of life. You need those voices in your head. And I do think that pastors play a part in that. I think that good friends play a part in that. I believe your spouse, if you have a spouse, may play a part in that. Your professors have a lot to offer. That you, you, you need mentors in your life. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs someone who's feeding them the good stuff to shape and change the knowledge that they have in order for them to have a foundation of wisdom. So if you find you're, that you're not really listening to anyone, you're probably not what the, 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 the writer of Proverbs would describe as among the wise. Wise people listen to others and learn from other people's advice. Proverbs also tells us that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Here you see this this connection again between knowing stuff and being able to do what is right. It starts with the foundation of knowing. It ends with making right life decisions. And it says it comes from God. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. So it's recognizing God is the answer. It's looking for teachers. And then it's it's, it's, it's kind of a surrender. It's kind of a submission of your own mind. It's it's saying, I don't know things, help me. And the writer here says, God will help you. He, he, He goes on to say, if I remember correctly, we have not because we ask not. We're lacking in wisdom because we're not turning to the font of all wisdom, who is God. We're looking somewhere else. But he says, if you'll ask of God, God will give generously without showing favoritism. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your IQ is. He doesn't care where you've been, how tough life has been, or how difficult the questions are that face you. It says he'll he'll give it without favoritism. He's not playing favorites when it comes to wisdom. He will just offer it to you if you ask. And so it's as simple as closing your eyes. And let's do that. Let's just take 10 seconds to close your eyes and say, God, please give me wisdom. I'm going to be quiet, and you do that in your space. Amen. Amen. Jesus tells a couple of parables that I think are important here, and he, he, write, he tells them right in a row. They're, they're like lightning-fast parables. They're just real quick little quips that he throws out there for people to think about. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And he says, the mustard seed, even though it's the tiniest of all seeds, it's this little bitty seed. It's, it's, you can hardly even see one. He says, when it's planted into the ground... It says it grows into this big tree, and the birds are allowed to come and perch on its branches. And then he goes on to say the kingdom of God is a little bit like yeast, which is rolled into dough. And when the yeast works in the dough, the dough expands and becomes big. The point he's trying to make to me is is fairly obvious, is that the kingdom of God is something small that becomes big. Big. Both of these parables, that's what it says, is the kingdom of God is like something very small that when it's put in its right place, it blossoms and flourishes. And I believe wisdom is a lot like this. You're not going to understand all mysteries of knowledge like 1 Corinthians 13 says in a day. That's just not going to happen. You're not equipped for that kind of knowledge. It would destroy you to have it. But God wants to systematically, consistently place little seeds of knowledge in your life constantly so that you grow into something that flourishes so that you grow into something that's valuable like the bread would be valuable to the family it's much more valuable once the yeast has been in it made it bigger it fills the belly better you'll be more valuable with seeds of wisdom the kingdom of God planted in you consistently and constantly and so it's finding these teachers it's finding voices that, that you want to listen to that are helpful and consistently constantly letting them speak into you I would encourage you that if, if church is the only place you ever hear any kind of seeds of wisdom. And if you listen to one of my sermons, you might get something out of it, I, I hope. Maybe it's a little tiny thing. And hopefully, here's what I honestly hope when I preach a sermon. I hope you walk away with something that I never really intended. I hope that God is dealing with you in your seat because you are close to God constantly every day seeking His wisdom, seeking His voice. And when you come in here, I preach a sermon on wisdom and you hear something totally different, but God is speaking to you. He wants to speak into your life constantly and consistently to give you knowledge so that you can become wise. So if we hear for example uh, the 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 good the parable of the good samaritan where the good samaritan helps the guy who's who's been brutalized by thieves and pours into his life. What 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 are some, what are some practical takeaways of wisdom that we might learn from that? Anybody want to offer something? What can you learn from the parable of the good samaritan? Have compassion. Have compassion. Yes. So what would that look like tomorrow? How does that show up at the workplace? It shows up when somebody comes to tell you a problem, you don't think, would you please get out of my stinking office? I'm not here to listen to your problems. Or because God has planted this little seed of have compassion in your life, would you possibly listen differently? It means you're going to have wisdom in your decisions. And so when you hear, when you hear these stories, when you hear ideas, when God speaks to you, what he's doing is sowing little seeds in your life that are going to grow and make you a different person and make you flourish and make you thrive. Shockingly, Proverbs 4.7 says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Desire for wisdom is the foundation of this whole thing. Is When it comes to what kind of life am I going to live? What kind of major am I going to have? What kind of relationships am I going to be in? How do I make all these very difficult decisions in life? Some people just don't care that they get stuff right. That's the reality, is there are human beings who don't really give a rip about right thinking. So what it starts, it says the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God. It's really interesting. Wisdom is personified in Scripture. Many times wisdom is a she. And so it says she is more precious than gems, more precious than gold. And it's personified. So we find that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and the beginning of wisdom is getting wisdom, and wisdom is personified. So there seems to be this connection that wisdom is kind of God. Wisdom is God invading your life. The, deci- the ability to make right decisions, the, able to, the ability to go forth with what is correct and right, in some sense, is the ability to be connected with and close to God. The writer of Colossians says this. He says, My goal is that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of, again, we see this connection that I've missed my whole life until this week. I've never seen it before, but so often... Wisdom and knowledge are connected. And it says, here he says, I want everybody to know Jesus in whom all the wisdom and all the knowledge resides. And so the writer of Colossians seems to indicate if you want to have this thing that we need so badly of wisdom and knowledge, that it's found in a pursuit of Jesus. Jesus says to the, to the religious leaders of his time, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. Now, I almost prophetically this, this week had this idea that devouring Scripture is just tantamount to wisdom and knowledge. So the wise, I, I've known some very wise people in my life that when you, when you approach them with a difficulty, they say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? They just seem to be on the pulse of God. And I think it's fair to say, without exception, these are people who devour the Scriptures. They're people who open their Bibles and read them and study them. But when we open the Bible and when we read them and study them, what are we looking for? We're looking for what Colossians says. So Jesus seems to indicate when you study the Scriptures, what are you looking for? You're looking for Him. He says, the Scriptures reveal me, is what Jesus says. The writer of Colossians says, in Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. And I quoted uh, Don Francisco, who wrote a song called Love is Not a Feeling last week. And Don Francisco says this. He says, the Word of God is perfect, infallible, and inerrant. And by the age of 18, He had grown a beard. See, we, we, we view the Scriptures a lot of times as a telephone book where we're trying to find the information we need and pull that information out and then apply it to what we dial. And Jesus, I think, and, and some of the greatest Christian thinkers of all time would, would say that's not necessarily the best way to look at Scripture. That what you're looking for is the Word of God, who is Jesus. When you read the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. He's the message of God, the Logos of God. It means, it means if God's... Entire being was expressed in words, this is what it would look like, and it looks like Jesus. So you open the scriptures and you pour through the scriptures trying to discover Jesus the Christ. Trying to discover who he is and what he was like. And as you do that, Colossians would indicate that all knowledge and wisdom is contained therein. I'm going to close with this passage from Isaiah chapter 11. So Isaiah chapter 11 is an Old Testament passage predicting the coming of the Messiah, the one who would break everyone free, the one in whom all strength resides. And it predicts what this Messiah will be like. And it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Here here again, we see wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and comprehension. It says the Messiah will be, this is the one thing he says about him. It's basically the only thing he says. And then he goes on to talk about what life will be like once he arrives. But the one thing he says about Jesus is that he will have knowledge and wisdom. He will be the one in whom knowledge and wisdom reside. And then he talks about what happens when Messiah comes. What happens when Jesus arrives, when the Christ arrives. And he spells it out like this in Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf shall lay down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion child shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. So he says this person is coming, Who in Him resides all knowledge and wisdom, and when that person reigns, peace. When that person reigns, there will be no more destruction. There, if that person reigns, when you make the decision, should I be in this relationship or shouldn't shouldn't I? Should I quit this job or should I keep the job, and so forth. All that is wiped away. There's just peace after that. There's no wrong decisions. There's no violence. There's no hatred. There's no anger. The lion and the lamb lay down together. It's serenity. and it's so, so the implication is that you find wisdom and knowledge in the person of Christ, and in the person of Christ comes this kingdom of serenity. It's, all, it's kind of like a kingdom where there are no bad decisions. Everything is right when Jesus is in charge. So the foundation of how do I make all these t- very difficult decisions in life is this. Who's making this decision? If Jesus is making the decision and you're surrendered to him, you pretty much can't go wrong. He's the foundation of wisdom and knowledge.